Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. We're the podcast that wants to see the good, the bad and the ugly from your garden. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, deputy editor. And on today's show, we're going to be chatting about a community project in Wales, getting your jobs on the plot this week. But first, we've got the self-proclaimed badly behaved gardener, Kim Stoddart on the line. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi there. Hello, both. Hi, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Very good. How about yourselves? Yeah, we're good, thank you. We've got our coffee and our tea and we're good to go. (laughs) All set. (laughs) Never find us without one. Excellent. So just to kick off, as you probably know, um, we like to delve deep into those gardening failures, the things that haven't gone right, the things that, you know, you might have tried a few times. But first of all, you know, we like to ease our guests in gently. So (laughs) we'll start with, could you tell us about any of your biggest gardening successes? This is the time to brag. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to gloat. No, I think, to be honest with you, for me, I think nature has taken a lot of the credit because um, it was probably about, goodness me, about six years ago, I did um, a blog for The Guardian um, called um, Gardening for Free. Mm -hmm. And it was all about working with nature um, and obviously, you know, doing lots of things um, that didn't cost anything. And for me, that was just an absolute revelation. So I let things become really overgrown. Um, I did seed saving. Um, I learned to make my own seed compost from leaf mold, that type of thing. So for me, just growing wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the the badly behaved gardener tag. <laughs> <laughs> so I embrace weeds, um, for example. I mean, obviously, certain things that um, uh, you know, particularly evasive, I, I will remove. But I use weeds, um, particularly over winter as ground cover. And it just works so well. It's, you know, it's like letting nature in to lend a helping hand, mm. which makes it much easier for you as the gardener. So it's less time and effort. Um, but it doesn't look neat and, neat and ordered. Mm. Um, but for me, that's one of my biggest revelations and successes. And that led on also to not using crop rotation at all. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I just don't crop rotate because it used to make my head whirl. <laughs> uh, I had all these exacting plans, you know, year one, year two and thinking about what I had to use each year. That's and interesting because a lot of people are very, very much of the mindset that you have to do that. So how have you found not doing that? Well, I just started as an experimentation because I really like experimenting. For me, that's part of the fun of gardening is just trying out new things each year. Mm-hmm. And certainly with climate change, it's incre- increasingly important to do that, just to sort of get connected mm-hmm. and just think, okay, what's the weather doing? What do you think I should do? And trying out new ways of doing things. But I started with a very small little area at first. And I was quite tentative. But I just mixed planted um, lots of different things. And it did so well that I do that with everything now. So um, the idea being that you're just sort of creating like a natural biodiversity. Mm. So you're not having lots of one crop that's draining nutrients from soil. So things can actually grow in harmony together. And you don't need to keep... um, racking your brains over you know drawing out these plans of where things have to go I guess that makes Brilliant. sense it's a little bit more natural than the kind of formulaic I've got to do this here this here this yeah. here yeah yeah and um, the bad behaved bit again as well because it is quite <laughs> naughty, <laughs> naughty that's very nice. in with our ethos here <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so you mentioned sort of embracing weeds and using them as ground cover and stuff yes um for any listeners who and I'm sure there will be lots of them thinking that that sounds amazing and they'd like to give it a try. Um, how would you sort of recommend that people get started with that if they might have had quite a sort of traditional plot to start with? 
I think probably the best way of starting is to use um, get used to the idea of having ground cover. So say, for example, if I have a bed, you know, you've got a, say, a, a raised bed and there's, you know, there's there's different crops in there. There's tomatoes, um, there's brassica, there's peas. Um, I would use, you know, to actually fill in the gaps, I would use lettuce mm-hmm. or salad leaves because it's really low um sort of it doesn't drain much from the soil so having the so that's probably a good way to start because it gives you an idea of using ground cover because what that does is it protects the ground from you know if you, it's actually really nice now thinking about summer yeah. let's think about summer <laughs> during the summertime <laughs> it's yes, really warm and not freezing cold and wet um, so that actually protects the soil from drying out and then during the winter which is when weeds really come into play um particular if you just leave things like some grass growing you dandelions they're not going to obviously flower just or leaving your crops letting your crops actually just basically die down into the ground anything that's remaining then you're protecting the soil because if you leave the soil bare um and if you dig it over it's the worst thing you can do because it leaves it open to um nutrient leach away from lots of rain over winter so with weeds it's it's you know it's kind of people have this idea of this picture perfect veg patch and what it should look like Mm -hmm. and that that's weed free isn't it yes of course yeah yeah but it's um you know sort of historically with peasant gardens if you kind of go back to sort of pre-victorian garden aesthetic um weeds were actually used as fillers yeah they did i mean there's a place um in cardiff called st faggins and they've got an old peasant garden there and it's a revelation because they use things like um fat hen which used it's edible it's not as nice as brassica leaves um which which sort of historically replaced it but they used to let things like that grow in between crops because it was really useful so i suppose i'm a bit of a peasant gardener as well (laughs) badly behaved peasant gardener (laughs) um now we'd like to move you on to sort of the other side of the coin. Yes. Can you tell us about any garden fails that you've had, any real disasters? Yeah. Bad. Stuff. Yeah. Bad. Gory <laughs> Dish details. The Dish the dirt. <laughs> um, I think the main thing um, is uh, there's been a few things that have particularly gone really wrong for me. Um, the main thing is I just cannot wear gloves. Um, oh. I can't wear gardening gloves. I've tried so hard. Yeah, I can't either. You just can't feel the good. soil in the same way. I don't feel way, safe if you? I don't have my gloves on. No. No, no but really. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I've never been able to. I'm pleased to hear that someone else, someone else is the same. <laughs> I try. I've got really nice, high-quality gloves. Um, I get scent gloves to try out. And, you know, obviously if you're pruning and doing things like that, you know, it's, um, you know, if you sort of rosebush, then, yeah, okay, yeah. gloves, gloves are very sensible thing to have but like you said Laura it's for me it's about the connection and whatever I'm doing I just you know say I've tried but it just it does over time you can feel your hands are getting dry but it's it's that connection I feel much closer to what I'm doing Mm. and I just find it a lot more enjoyable so I can't really do gloves so that could be that in a sort of traditional gardening terms I'm a failure (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know uh, failed on that also um I tried once to use my first move to be um where I am now because um it's it's a small holding in West Wales where I've got my training gardens and Mm. um uh, it's quite a big plot so at first um I went down traditional route of getting a rotavator because that's what you're supposed to do Mm. so I thought right okay I'm going to rotavate my plot I used it once and saw how it churned up everything in sight um, it was horrific. Um, earthworms, everything. And that 
then led me down the no dig path almost yeah. immediately because I could just see the immediate devastation. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that happened as well is um, basically um, the heat wave, again, thinking about warm weather. Again, let's reflect <laughs> on that nice warm weather. Heat. Um, yeah, uh, so year before last, the heat wave that we had that just seemed to go on for you know, it's months, never ending, it? wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> really was. How long was it in the end? Was it? It just felt like months? it was never going to get cold or wet again. Yeah, I know. This is it forever. <laughs> um, and so basically, I've got private water supply, and what happened? It's the first time ever is the water ran almost completely dry. Oh no! So I had it was it was we we had to get neighbours coming round with um, basically a tank of water and then removing it from buckets. That was really fun. <laughs> it was like like a gym workout but you know like a gardening uh so obviously I need to water my plants but I could only water the um the polytunnels once a week and right. I couldn't water the outside veg patch at all but actually it was really revelationary because it actually made me push how far I could take things mm. yeah. so again lots of you, you know, wrote about this in the magazine covered. recently didn't you and it was I found it quite interesting to read because it was it made sense that you had to then cut corners and find ways of doing yes. things and you know not just yeah. water everything yeah, yeah. so what did you find with the crops that coped best with without being watered regularly well this is it isn't it it's with things that go wrong that's how you learn I think and that's that's the thing that you know not everything is going to do really well every year mm-hmm. and depending on where you live and the way you garden there's always going to be something that you're better at than other things but I think it's if we didn't have failures we wouldn't learn so I think, again, it's it's really good to have things like that. But in terms of crops, Laura, um, the things that most things did really well, actually. Um, I mean, I did things like with the tomatoes. Um, obviously, they're very water hungry. So I um, I let some of the stems trail along the ground and I rooted them. Oh, so right. it meant the plants were actually getting water from quite a few different points. Mm. I used um, mulch as well, which helped keep the water in. The thing that didn't do very well that really struggled was cucumber. Mm. so that that really didn't work at all they're um, thirsty cucumbers, they? very very thirsty um but aside from that everything everything did really well and I grow a lot of perennials so that helps because mm. they're really resilient and self-seeding and all that type of thing but um yeah you know with stuff like that we have all these things thrown at us so um whether it's you know past or if it's the weather that we're having to deal with but it's also sort of learning to adapt to, yeah. to why something hasn't quite worked it makes it more interesting i think year to year not just having the same thing happen every yeah. year doesn't it it keeps us on our toes <laughs> yes leading on from what you were just saying there about those were shortcuts that you it was enforced on you to discover have yes. you got any other sort of shortcuts or cheeky little hacks that would help the listeners definitely I love cheeky little hacks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything that's and for me anything that's um time money saving and just puts the fun back in gardening I think has to be has to be up there yeah. and I think you know it's also about making it your own as well so it's about mm-hmm. finding your own way of gardening that really works for you rather than just doing what you feel you have to, which is one of the reasons why I love writing, many reasons why I love writing for your magazine, because it just makes it really accessible for people. But I think um, in terms of tips, I think just, again, just try and get up close with with what you're doing. So if you can, unless you've got a skin condition, just try and put your hands in the soil and just have a look. So rather, I think a lot of the time there's still a bit of a disconnect, um, Mm. even with very, very keen gardeners that, 
it's for growing things. But if you can just, you know, say if you've got a pot and it's, um, you know, if you're container gardening, you won't actually know whether the plant needs water or not unless you actually put your hands in or have yeah. a look and just see, just see whether it needs to be potting on, look at the roots. So I think connection is really important, especially with climate change yeah. and everything that's happening. The more we can do that and also being open to new ideas. Um, obviously, don't weed meticulously. I highly recommend that. Don't be afraid of the weed. <laughs> um, you know, they do actually, they can serve a useful purpose and they can attract pollinating insects. I mean, even just allowing like a tiny little patch of stinging nettles yeah. can attract ladybirds mm-hmm. onto your plot, mm-hmm. um, which which are amazing. You know, the um, the sort of the, the sort of immature um, ladybirds will gobble up loads of aphids. So trying to allow wildlife in and just trying to work with nature as much as you can. It just it kind of takes gardening onto another level. So you're growing really delicious fruit and veg, but also there's the birds, there are potentially frogs, there are wildlife. So it's sort of it's it's almost like a three-dimensional type of gardening. It's much more fun, I think. Joined up gardening rather than just thinking that it's an yeah. abstract thing, I think yeah. is important. Yeah, that's a nice way of calling it actually. It is. It's joined up. And things like seed saving. Yes. Again, so having a go at completing the gardening circle by saving some seed it just builds confidence mm-hmm. yeah I think it builds confidence in you to find a way of gardening that is really about you yeah definitely and there's something quite sort of comforting about knowing that you're putting next year's crops away sort of mm. safely isn't there definitely and it's really easy to do there's loads of, there's, there's quite a few things um, especially with salad leaves and um, with peas and tomatoes really easy to save seed from and you're saving cash, but you're also saving seed that, um, you know, a lot of people believe is actually it's modified to your own growing conditions. Yes. So, again, with climate change, there's just loads of good reasons for doing that. And it's fun. How do you think that we're going to need to adapt as the climate is changing and therefore our gardens are going to change and the conditions are changing? And how do we need to adapt to that? Because you, you have your um, your climate change garden book, don't you, with lots of great advice in there on that. But what, what would you say are the, the key takeaways? I think the main thing, if I had to summarise it, is that we need to put aside um, this idea of polished and primped gardens mm. or veg patches. Mm. Um, this, you know, which is, you know, a lot of that advice is based on Victorian country house estates. And yeah. it's just, I think we need to go back to the, before that, to this more, you know, it's working with nature, it's wild around the edges. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of bringing your plots alive with all of this biodiversity, which will help with, it will help in so many different ways and it helps to build resilience. So, you know, say for example, if you're using um, fertilizers, it's actually, I, I believe, um, it makes the plot, uh, the sort of crops more, more reliant on this. Mm. Whereas if you just make your soil the healthiest it can be, you don't actually need to feed anything. So again, just lots of things like that that can just save us time and effort. Um, which means it gives you more time just to enjoy what you're doing and just to look and stick your hands in the soil, look at the birds, look at the wildlife. And with all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world right now, it's just the more we can take time out to do that, I think the better it is for everybody. Absolutely. So just before we um, tie things up, our final question is, what would be the biggest lesson that you've learned in your time gardening? I think... um, Trying to build confidence and use your intuition. Mm-hmm. I think use your intuition. I think so much um, in life we um, we can sort of be used to just following instructions. But I think the more that you can tap into what you think and build build confidence, even in small ways. 
such as, I mean, seed saving for me was a massive confidence boost. Mm. And this idea, because it is no longer gardening as usual, just looking at ways of um, not just trying things out, whether it's um, just germinating an avocado stone. Or again, it's so empowering. Gardening is so empowering for you. And I think the more that you can experiment and be open to new ways of doing things and think, well, this, this, this seems, maybe I should grow my carrots like this. Maybe I should try this. I think the better that is. I think, especially now with the future, I think it's building that confidence and just tapping into what you think. I think that's a really lovely piece of advice to finish on. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today, Kim. Oh, my pleasure. It's been fun. Blake, we'd better grab another coffee and head to our team chat. Let's do it. And now we head from Kim's small holding in Wales to our team chat with our very own Welsh gardener, manager of the commercial side of the magazine, Dan Hewlett. Hello, Dan. Hello, Laura and Blake. How are you both doing? You're right. Yeah, good. good. Thanks. You've got the coffees for us, haven't you? I've got the coffees ready. I've got the teas ready, and I've even got some Welsh gossip for you. I say gossip, <gasps> Tell a story, us more. a story. What have you got? So, um, down in Caerphilly in Wales, we have eco warriors fighting poverty pride in the Welsh right now. So for anyone who doesn't know the area, um, it's classed as one of the most deprived areas in Wales. And the community have been doing their best to try and get rid of this uh, negative connotation to the area. Uh, There's been lots of different schemes and things put in place. But more recently, we've been encouraging everyone to go out and grow in the community. You guys know how good well-being is for like growing and everything. Gardening for well-being yeah. is a big thing right now. See the January issue of Grow Your Own magazine. Not only that, you've got the fact that it encourages people getting out. It makes things much more beautiful in the community. And also you get to know your neighbours, which I think no one really does in a modern day and age. Mm. But, you know, growing is our passion. And that's what we love about this wonderful story. I mean, around the UK, I think more and more communities are getting into growing. We know about allotments and everything. How about both of you? Do you grow in the community at all? I don't, but I do love reading about it. I think it's something... Gardening can be something that you do by yourself and that's fine if you want to just get away and get away from the stresses of daily life and go and do that yourself. Mm. Or you can do it as a more as more of a social thing and being able to do that and meet other people is such a benefit as well. So why not? Yeah. Well, I live in Ipswich and um, Incredible Edible actually has a branch in Ipswich, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and I've always thought that that would be a lovely thing to get involved in the sort of Gorilla gardening, wildflowers at the bus stop, that sort of thing. I think that's really, really beneficial. Well, going back to the story, um, Sophie, who's behind this scheme in the area, um, she moved to Lansbury, the area, and she didn't know anything about the area. She didn't know the local people, and she just wanted an excuse to make everything look beautiful, but also speak to her neighbours. It helps that um, she's... Filled a gap, uh, the, the Welsh government scheme communities first closed and it's lovely that everyone's getting together. I mean, I'm from Ipswich myself as well and more schemes like that I'd get involved. Yeah. I think it's just nice too that people are invested in their local area. So it's not only that you're getting something out of going to this thing, but you're also giving back to your local area too. Yeah, and I think this actually links into um, a story that I've come across this week um, from The Independent about how plants are the new millennial craze. 
And I think there's something to do with, you know, that whole side of things that brings this in as well, that people are becoming a lot more aware of the well-being side, the social side, you know. It's Instagram as well. People love to post their plants on Instagram. I think as a millennial myself, I see it amongst all my friends. Mm. We've moved on from food. We've moved on from food and now we want to see plants. Food was like (laughs) last decade. (laughs) We want to see plants. We want to see butterflies. We want to see bees. It's 2020 now. Come on. Plants are the new black. I do think that's a really good point. Environmental awareness, I think, is another thing that probably brings the millennial sort of audience in as well, because people are so much more aware of the impact that gardening is going to have on the environment. Plus for me, it's also the link back to food as well. <laughs> yeah, anything Same. food related, I'm excited by. We're pretending it's not about yeah. food. <laughs> it, it really is. is. It's always about food. Um, do you think, because I saw something this week about kids eating vegetables, and I was wondering, do you think that getting kids out in the garden and getting them gardening from a young age means that they're going to eat their vegetables more? Because I know when I was young, I hated you can't say that on here I know I, I love it now but well Dan you've got a little one haven't you what do you what do you think of this I think it it really does help I mean a bit of my growing background when I was younger my father used to have an allotment and mm-hmm. he used to regularly take me down there when I was really little like three four getting involved some mishaps of falling over and things that's what happens when you're young <laughs> um, when you're young <laughs> but if you understand seed into carrot carrot picked up taken home cut up cooked you're more likely to eat it or at least I was and that's what I'm trying to do with my daughter so Mm -hmm. we moved into our current house about three years ago and like many houses built in the 70s and 80s tiny tiny garden I'd love it to be bigger but there is space for me to have raised beds so I'll put raised beds in there specifically so when my daughter came along I can get her involved and I have a bed full of fruit. So we have blackberries in there, raspberries, strawberries. She loves going out there and picking the raspberries and the strawberries in the season. Um, I've been growing courgettes there, which she's really interested and excited is. Um, and she used to be a bit of a nightmare when it came to veg. Mm-hmm. Now, broccoli's all she'll eat. Broccoli, <laughs> cauliflower <laughs> and raspberries. So it's definitely worked. Anyone else out there thinking about it, do it. Yeah, we'd actually, we'd love to hear any listeners, um, your own experiences of this on our social media channels. It's um, a really interesting discussion, I think. So beyond growing, how else do you get your daughter to eat veg? Do you do the like camouflage in something else type of thing? I remember my mum used to mix in broccoli with potatoes because I liked potato and didn't like broccoli. So she'd mash it all into one. <laughs> That's what my mum used to do for me as well. Do you know what? I try and get her involved in cooking yeah. where I can, to be fair. Um, I mean... I think that practical element really helps, whether it's gardening or cooking. It's, it's you know, you feel like you've done something by the end and yeah. perhaps you're more likely to then want to eat it. So for fruit, children love cake. Decorate <laughs> cake. Not just children. (laughs) Guess what? Children will eat the fruit. So if we're making a cake, I'll get her to bake the cake with me and then I'll put strawberries and raspberries on top. I'll let her do it. Straight away, she's eating the raspberries before we're putting them on and the strawberries and things. Um, I've made things like cottage pie that I've sat down with her and done Mm -hmm. and asked. I'm not saying get a two-year-old to cut up carrots. (laughs) That that is not what I'm advising all. But um, I'll get her to sit next to me and she passes me everything before I cut it up. And that makes her that much more likely to try it. Just being involved. Yeah, in in general. But it's also understanding where food comes from. Because I think so much you can say to children, where do carrots come from? Tesco. 
<laughs> Other supermarkets are available. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's it's about making children understand and that will also encourage yeah. them to grow, which I think is important. We need the next generation of growers out there. It's Absolutely. also just not healthy thinking that everything comes from the supermarket or not knowing where it's coming from, I think. Yeah. When they get, get older as well, when they're older as well, I think it's an excuse to get them outside, off the iPad, off yeah. Peppa Pig, <laughs> off CBeebies. Get out there and get outside and get dirty again. Children are get dirty enough now. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. Well, um, thanks very much for joining us, Dan. We've all got to get back to our desks, but we'll pass over to Chris Collins from the Organic Gardening Catalogue for his Organic Growing Tip of the Week. Like all good gardeners, I'm thinking ahead. We're always planning about what we're going to get up to next. And one of the joys of being a gardener is to get those catalogues out in the dark months. Have a look at what you want to grow. I'm particularly fond of heritage seeds and looking at the heritage seed library and garden organic plants. And I want to see what I'm going to grow, how I'm going to rotate it, and what's going to happen the year ahead. Well, that's all from me. I'll see you again next week. And now handing over to Rose for Jobs on the Plot. January might not be the busiest month in the garden, but there are still jobs to get done to get you ahead for summer. Next month, the kitchen garden really kicks into action, so start buying growing bags and seed compost and store summer warm until needed. Keep checking on those stored potatoes and apples as rotten specimens can spoil those surrounding it and puts you at risk of losing all of your crop. A nasty smell is often the first sign of trouble. Towards the end of the month, you can start planting out a variety of soft fruit bushes, such as raspberries. These plants will produce a delicious harvest come summer. Check the sow-by date on old packets of seeds and discard any that are out of date. Parsnip seeds, for example, don't keep particularly well. This is also a perfect excuse to start buying some more. Thanks again to Kim Stoddart for taking the time to chat to us today. Until next week, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Whether you're an accomplished organic grower or just interested in learning about growing in a more natural way, the Organic Gardening Catalogue is for you. They're the one-stop shop for all things garden related. They've got a fantastic selection of seeds, plants, tools and more. Be inspired by growing organic, whether it be in a garden, an allotment or even on a city balcony. Visit organiccatalogue.com for more. And... Don't forget to subscribe to The Dirt for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell your allotment neighbours. We have some really exciting guests coming up and one of them could be you. Do you or someone you know have some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny disasters on the plot? Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know. Plus, as a special treat for a monthly dose of trusted garden advice from the whole Grow Your Own team, we've got an exclusive offer just for the Dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash pod G, that's P-O-D-G, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote pod G to get three issues of Grow Your Own magazine for just £6 and every issue comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms.